Lord, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, in my, in my heart, I know that my words for this church are insufficient. And yet your word is gifted to us because that is the message we need to hear. We need to hear your words. And so this morning, as we look to your word, I pray that you would renew and revive our hearts. Lord, that we would recognize this inspired word is indeed yours and that it would illuminate us. That we would be able to understand more of who you are and by understanding you, that you would sanctify us. We pray that Jesus would be exalted in our church this morning above all else. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We've been in a, a series over the last couple weeks just called Jesus Community Mission. And the, the purpose of this series is for us to understand what it is we're trying to do here. We, we as a church are believing for gospel renewal for our city. We, we just believe that God has great things in mind for our city and we want to put our hands to that work, but we recognize in order for that to happen... Some stuff has to happen in us. And so kind of the, the way we've been talking about this series is, is like, what if we started to see biblically serious, spiritually vibrant, gospel-centered churches planted in our city that just started to turn around neighborhoods and just by their presence started to affect the city in great ways. And then that started to permeate through the rest of our city and into New Mexico and into Mexico and throughout Mexico. Like, what if churches like that started to be planted and, and churches in this city started to be revitalized, and we saw the gospel go forth in such a great way that we saw revival in our generation, gospel renewal in our generation. Like, what if we saw that? We don't want to just wonder, but we actually want to believe that that's possible. And so we here believe that that happens when you and I encounter Jesus and through encountering Jesus, we turn to him. We begin to look more like him as the Spirit does work in our hearts. And we do that in a covenant community that really knows us, really cares for us, rejoices with us, and weeps with us. And then from that community, we invite more and more people to know this Jesus and to do all that all over again. That's how we believe that gospel renewal happens. It does not happen by a formula. It happens by Jesus community and mission. And, and when we continue to commit to that work, continue to commit to the Holy Spirit doing that work in our hearts and in our body, we just believe it's going to do some great things in our city. And so Jesus, community, mission, each one of those pieces matters. And if we lose one of those pieces, what we have is a decaffeinated view of Christianity. So maybe you're like me, and when you know that you have a lot of study to do, you pour yourself another cup of coffee. But if that is decaf coffee, it does nothing for you. We don't want decaffeinated Christianity. We want full caffeine Christianity. And this order is intentional. 
Jesus Community Mission is intentional. Um, today we are going to be talking about mission, but it's important for us to get the order right. You see, um, if mission comes first, it won't matter if people experience the gospel. It won't really matter if people are belonging in a covenant community and becoming more like Jesus. It will only matter if we've got numbers to prove that we've been successful. I actually think that this is a symptom of a lot of American Christianity right now, is we've put mission above Jesus. And so we have churches with thousands of people, but not any gospel transformation or renewal going on. And so there's this continuing, continual and never-ending grind to keep up, to continue entertaining, to continue making people happy, to continue seeking those who, you know, maybe might be interested. But what, what we don't see from that is lives transformed. And so we, we cannot put mission first because if mission is first, then it's only ever going to be about numbers and nothing else. You see, numbers do matter. Like we can't, we can't make a case from Scripture that God's not after more disciples. Like we can't do that. But we can't put them as ultimate. That cannot be our ultimate decider of whether or not what we're doing is what God has called us to do. Now, maybe we got the order in this way, Jesus and then mission and then community. Well, if this happens, we're going to sacrifice people and presence with one another on the altar of our mission. So, like, right now there's a, a huge movement going on called deconstruction, and I want to be sensitive to that movement in the sense that there are some valid reasons that are happening behind it, but largely in and of itself it is... I think very damaging. But part of what happens in, in deconstruction, when people start to deconstruct from the church, it usually comes from an experience of church hurt. Now, let me nuance this because we, we live in a world of black and white and that's just not how the world works. There are some reasons where church hurt is valid, where a church has overstepped and they have, they have done harmful things to people. They have spiritually abused or verbally abused or sexually abused, and that's not okay for churches to be those things. And those things happen when we start to put the mission over the community. Here's what I mean by that. Typically how this works is you get a very charismatic leader and speaker and you put him up in the front and he leads and, and the church and his success is defined by how many people are in the seats. And so maybe they're following Jesus and they're preaching from the word, but at the end of the day, what matters most is getting people on the bus. And anybody who tries to get in the way of the bus gets run over by the bus. And that's not the purpose of the church. And so what happens is you have a leader whose success is directly tied to the numbers and anybody who questions or anybody who challenges or anybody who hurts, they're automatically out because they're not trying to make this better. They're actually just questioning the leader. And so mission is first. We got to keep moving. We got to keep rolling. And so we got to get those people out. And that's, that's not actually what we're called to. <laughs> that's, that's not it. And so what happens a lot in these conversations where people have been hurt by the church is that they've run into leaders or people who put the mission above actual individuals. It's 
Let's go after the numbers and let's make sure that we get those. And if we sacrifice people to get it, then who cares? Now, order matters. Jesus comes first here, which means that hard conversations are going to be necessary as we start to grow in our likeness of Christ, which means that we cannot put the community and people's feelings above obedience to Jesus. But we can't and we must not be so concerned about the mission that we miss the people. And I'll unpack why I think that matters as we go today. But it's something we have to be very aware of, that Jesus comes first. We are, upon encountering Jesus, saved into a community of people, a covenant community of people. And as we grow together in our likeness of Christ, mission flows from that. I have a now that we've established the proper order, I do think it's important for us to recognize that mission is still really important. Um, Jesus plus community is not the full expression of God's intention for Christianity. Just Jesus and a bunch of people who love Jesus that kind of holy huddle, that's not what God's after. Jesus plus community plus mission because mission matters. I came across a sermon a few weeks ago um, from a pastor by the name of Trevor Joy, and, and he said something that is just absolutely fabulous, and I think it's going to help us today. And so this quote's kind of long, but um, bear with it. He says this in, in a sermon that he preached uh, earlier this year. He says, one hindrance to living a life worthy of the gospel is this our understanding of community gets backwards. The fruit of a group of people living lives together for the sake of the gospel, like biblical community, is a picture of a group of people who are standing together. They're unified by one common purpose, not facing each other, rather standing side by side facing outward. Why is this so important for us to understand? Because the story you and I are a part of is a story of God redeeming and reconciling the whole world to himself. This means that there's a massive movement taking place, and as followers of Jesus, you and I are part of that movement. Community isn't supposed to satisfy some social longing. It's supposed to be the people I am standing side by side with as we walk forward together on mission to see this whole world renewed. Community is first and foremost about Jesus and about his kingdom. There's a relationship between community and mission that is so essential for us to understand because the Bible does not give a context for those things to be different programs. Community without mission is codependency. We just end up with a group of people that love to be needed and need to be needed. Mission without community creates a bunch of self-sufficient mercenaries who go it alone and rob themselves and the world they're, they're trying to reach of the strongest apologetic. A community of people displaying the fruits of the gospel that's changed them, that's the strongest apologetic. 
God is after us going and making disciples. And then the primary function of community is to be the other disciples we are fighting with. Community is not a dinner club. It's your disciple-making team. And it's a team where everybody gets to play and nobody gets the option of sitting out. I love that quote because I think it sets us up for what we're attempting to do here. What the body of Christ is doing is we are in community standing side by side and our strongest apologetic is the community. And then we move out in mission together. So now, so you know that this isn't just coming from me, let's get to the Word of God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8, and then we're going to hop over to 312. We've been talking a lot about how we're using this book as a hitting on the main themes that Paul has been after in 1 Thessalonians and using those to drive what we believe God is calling for our church. So 1 Thessalonians 1.8 says this, For the word of the Lord rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place that your faith in God has gone out. Therefore, we don't need to say anything. Uh, Go to 3 verse 12 for me real quick. And may the Lord cause you to increase and overflow with love for one another and for everyone, just as we do for you. May he make your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Amen. Context. What's happening in the church of Thessalonica at this time? We've talked about this a couple times in the last couple weeks, but it's important for us to revisit it because it's going to shape how we understand these verses. This church is a church that was planted by the Apostle Paul. They had about three weeks of Christianity under their belt when severe persecution starts to happen to them. Upon severe persecution, Paul, Timothy, and Silvanus, who were the ones who planted that church, have to flee. And the the church is like, you got to get out of here. You got to go. You can find this in Acts 17 if you're wondering. And so Paul, Timothy, and Silvanus run, and they leave a church that is three weeks old, facing severe persecution in their very early days. So the way we've talked about this is you just got saved. You haven't even taken your new believers class yet. You haven't been baptized, and then you get dragged out of your home, paraded through the streets, brought before the city officials, and called a traitor to your nation. All because you pledged allegiance to King Jesus. That's the picture of this church. And so Paul writes a letter to them. But he does so after something happens that we learn about in this book. Er Earlier on in chapter 3, Paul uh, uses these words. He says, when we could bear it no longer, we sent Timothy to you. Now, we've got to put that in context as well. When, When he sends Timothy, who is Timothy to Paul? He's not a lackey. He's not just some random guy he paid to take a letter. Timothy is his co-worker in the faith. Uh, 
in other passages of Scripture, he will call Timothy like a son to him and like a brother to him. It would not be hard to make a, a judgment that Timothy is probably the most important person in Paul's universe, other than Christ. Like, Timothy is Paul's brother. He is son. Paul has deep love and care for Timothy and Timothy is the one that is sent back into this dangerous setting. And then we see 3.12. We ask that the Lord would cause you to increase and overflow with love for one another and for everyone just as we do for you. So when Paul says that, when Paul is saying, I am praying that you would be causing, you would cause, uh, the Lord would cause you to increase in your love for one another and for all, what is he directly referring to in the context directly above it? It is, he is talking about how they sent Timothy. <laughs> he is calling them and asking that the Lord would strengthen them to send people out into mission even amongst persecution even amongst difficulty, even amongst hardship. Paul is saying, we have risked our lives to proclaim the gospel message. Now we're praying that God would lead you into that as well. Paul invites them to increase in love for one another and for all just as we do. And so what does the love that Paul has for them look like? It's risking their life for the gospel message. It's deeply caring for others to the point where you will be willing to part with close-knit relationships in ministry to see them partake in gospel work. And 3.1, he says, when we can bear it no longer, right before he gets to this point, when we could bear it no longer, we finally decided to send Timothy to you. And, man, I, I just want to picture this for a second. This is conjecture. So, like, text is over here, but I'm over here. I want to, like, think, what must have this been like for Paul and Silvanus and for Timothy? And it, I can picture they're in Athens, and they're sitting at a cafe, and there's, you know, some hummus and pita on the table, and they just can't even touch it because they're filled with anxiety about how worried they are for the Thessalonican church. And they're, they're discussing it, and they're wrestling with it. They're like, what do we do here? How do we solve this problem? And I just picture Timothy saying, I think I need to go. Paul, you're you're too popular. People know your face too much. I could probably get by without causing too much of a commotion. Let me go. And I imagine Paul arguing with him like, no, Timothy, we can't. We got to do this. We got to check on these, these believers. And I imagine Paul saying, yeah, you know what? You're right. We do have to check on them. We, we need to make sure that this church is doing okay. And so Timothy goes. And we could look to other accounts where we see that Paul is riddled with anxiety, wondering how Timothy's doing, worried about him, worried about the Thessalonian church until finally he receives a good report that they're good, they're doing well. There's this moment where the community that they had built had to be called into sacrifice for the mission of the gospel so that this community could con be, be, continue to flourish. 
And so Paul is now in his letter to them, inviting them to be part of that exact same thing. That term that you would increase and overflow with love for one another and for everyone, just as we do for you, is loaded because of the context. It is loaded because the way that Paul has loved them, the way that Timothy has loved them, the way that Sylvanus has loved them is sacrificial. And it's missional. Paul is inviting them to that, to be moved by love for one another, that there's gospel grief about others' faith, but to also be so concerned about the reception of the gospel with other people that you'll move out in mission, out from what's comfortable, even when it seems like there is great loss. And so here we have this church who, as we know from the end of the book, is watching as brothers and sisters in the faith are dying due to persecution. And Paul's calling them into that. He's inviting them into that, and he's pointing at the end of the book to the hope of the return of Christ. When Christ returns, we will be with him forever, and we will be with each other forever, and we are each other's inheritance, as we talked about last week. And so because of that, how much more would we want to bring more people into this? How much more would we want a greater inheritance? And this is what I love about this. What I love about this story is we have more in Scripture than just the ask. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 20, verse 4. So Acts chapter 17 is when this church is beginning to get started. Somewhere between 17 and 19 is when Paul's letter is written. And then in chapter 20... Verse 4, I think we see one of the coolest things. They respond to this call. Acts 20, verse 4, he says this. Uh, Paul's about to go through Greece and Macedonia, and, and he's, he's with a kind of a church planting team, and, and, and <laughs> this is so cool. It says that he was accompanied by Sopater, son of Pyrrhus from Berea, Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica. They responded to the call to increase in love for one another and for all, just as Paul does, by sending two of their own to go in mission with Paul. That is outrageous. Here is this church, this baby church that's being persecuted, that is seeing that their faith is leading to the death of their brothers and sisters, and Paul is inviting them. It's okay. Walk out in mission. Continue to walk out in mission. Trust us. And what do we see in Acts 24 that they respond in, or in Acts 20 verse 4, that they respond in obedience. They send. They respond. They go out in mission, but... This church has responded so kind, so strongly to Paul's call to love all as we do for you that they, some feel called to vocational ministry and they send them out. They have some feel called to vocational mission and they send them out and they as a church walk out in the sending work. What started in their hometown leads to the nations. We, we pointed to Acts 1.8, or uh, 1 Thessalonians 1.8, and what do we see? That the word of the Lord rang out from them. In, it says here, 
1.8. In every place that your faith in God has gone out, therefore we don't need to say anything. Like the word of the Lord has gone out from their church. They are partaking in the mission. This is a church that has taken the call of God to be a church that is about Jesus, to be a church that is about loving one another in community, and to be a church that is about taking that message to the nation. Like, this church has stepped out in that. Which leads them to joining up in the missional work to plant churches throughout the Roman Empire. If we were to follow the story of church history, we'd know that for the next 300 years, all we see is churches starting to grow and the gospel continuing to go out until finally they overtake the Roman Empire. <laughs> like, that's crazy. They overtook a world power with the good news of the gospel by one church at a time, by the call to mission, people encountering Jesus, being saved into a covenant community, and being called to walk out in mission together. Christian brother and sister, this is our call as well. Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you even till the end of the age. A disciple of Jesus is then baptized into the covenant community. It's someone who follows Jesus, teaching them to obey all that he has commanded, and then teaching others to obey all he has commanded, doing that same work. This is the call of the Christian life. It's not to hoard Jesus for ourselves, but we share him with the world. Why? Why? There's a, a story from that same sermon I listened to and quoted from earlier uh, about a well-known atheist comedian named Penn Jillette. Maybe you've heard of Penn and, I think it's Penn and Teller. Uh, so Penn Jillette, he tells a story about after one of his shows where a man comes up to him after the show and gives him a Bible and shares the gospel with him. Now, Penn Jillette is a well-known atheist still to this day. So that gospel presentation didn't work, but but he, he interviews about this story, which is so fascinating to me. Um, he says this. He says, it was really wonderful. I believe he knew I was an atheist, but he was not defensive. He looked me right in the eyes. He was truly complimentary. It didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice and sane. He talked to me and gave me this Bible. And so I asked him if he was trying to proselytize me. And he said, well, I want to be honest with you. I am trying to proselytize you. I am trying to convert you to Christianity. And, and Penn, uh, or, yeah, Penn goes, goes on to, sell, uh, to say this. He says, I don't respect Christians who don't proselytize. If you believe there's a heaven or a hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that it's not worth telling them because it could make it, make it socially awkward, just leave me alone. Keep your religion to yourself. 
How much do you have to hate somebody to not share your faith? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? If I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck is coming at you and you didn't believe it and that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point that I would tackle you. And this, this thing that Christians are after, it's more important than that. I, I heard that and I, I'll just be honest, man, I was struck to the core. Like that hit me. <laughs> that started to mess with me a little bit. Like if we really believe this truth that we carry with us, if we really believe that hell exists, that eternal, eternal separation from all that is good and right and beautiful, and we hold the good news of heaven, eternal communion with God, who is all that is good and right and beautiful, if we really believe that the deepest need every human has is to be reconciled to God and that we hold the answer for how that can be done, and if we really have encountered the goodness of Jesus in the glorious gospel, then why would we not want to share those things with others? And so we as a church want to be about mission. Because we believe in matters. We believe that we hold the keys to life in our hands in the good news of Jesus Christ, in the gospel. And so, what I want to do for you this morning is invite you into that mission. Invite you into what we are trying to do here as a church. Be a people that is about Jesus in covenant community with one another, stepping out into mission together. And I want to give you some ways that you can walk that out missionally in your own life. And so I, I want to give a few missional strategies. And the first one that I'm going to give you is in line with what we're talking about. Jesus community mission. Our gospel communities, we believe, are going to be a strategy for missional engagement within our city. So Monday nights, we have the Mendies. Tuesday nights, we have the Littles. Thursday nights, we have uh, the Simonis, and then also at my house. These gospel communities, the, the purpose of them, and there's sign-up sheets in the lobby. So if you want to sign up and get contacted about more information, please do that. Um, the purpose of these gospel communities is that we would become people who know and love each other and then step out in mission together. And so here's just one simple way that you can do that as a gospel community. Just love the part of the city you're in. Like, if, you're, if your gospel community leader knows their neighbors and they knows there's a need here or there, like, what ways could we as a community of people fulfill that need and walk out in gospel love for those people which will provide open doors for gospel conversations? Like we could, these are tools for missional engagement. These are tools where we can be intentional with one another, where we can learn about the, the position that our city finds ourselves in and then step out in community together as a disciple-making team. The, the next thing that we do in these groups that's really important is we invite each other to share our testimonies with one another. And there's a reason for that. There's a reason that we invite you to, to share your testimony with one another. If you were to go throughout the book of Acts and watch Paul's gospel presentations, most of them are tied to his own testimony. 
Like at the end of the book of Acts, he is um, before government officials and all he's doing is telling his story. All he's doing is telling his testimony of how he came to know the Lord and who Jesus is in light of that. Like your testimony is powerful for the sake of the gospel going forward. It is who Jesus has been to you, how he saved you. And so when we get together in gospel communities and you're invited to share your testimony, it's a practice and training ground for you to get more comfortable sharing that story so you can share it with others. All your testimony is is pointing to Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and how that directly came into being in your life. How Jesus saved you. How Jesus transformed you, how you encountered the Lord, you share that story with others. Your testimony is ridiculously powerful. In fact, the Bible would say that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And your testimony is about God doing great things for you. Like, uh, man, very few of the gospel conversations that I've had in my life. Uh, had come from me following a formula. And I think those are really helpful. But the ones that have been the most effective have been when I've just been like, hey, um, do you mind if I tell you my story? <laughs> you mind if I tell you how I almost ruined my marriage and how by the power of God's gospel, like, ended up becoming whole? I'll tell you guys someday. Some of you have heard it. Like, that's, to me, ridiculously powerful. And it's going to get you in at a heart level with people because you're probably telling them about one of your more vulnerable moments in life. Sets them on the, doesn't even put them on the offensive right away. It just opens them up to hear who Jesus is and what he's done in your life. And then uh, the, the second way that I, I think these gospel communities play a role in this is by encouraging one another towards mission. One of the things that we're going to be uh, doing this year is just asking you, in our gospel communities, who are two people you know that don't know the Lord? And then we're just going to pray for them and ask you about them regularly. Like, Two people you know who don't know the Lord. And then we're going to pray for them together. And we're going to pray as gospel communities that they come to know the Lord. And we're going to recognize that you have a unique opportunity by being the person who knows the Lord and knows them. And we're going to encourage you out in gospel conversations. From that point, what we're, what I would, I would just say this. For those of you in here, you're like, man, I don't really want to get plugged into a gospel community. I'd like some missional strategies. You probably know two people who don't know the Lord. Pray for them. Begin praying for them and then invite them to dinner. Just have them over for dinner. And, and here's the trick, and this is going to be really hard because I know how, uh, you know, achiever mindsets a lot of us are. We got to feel like we accomplished something. Have them over for dinner and just enjoy them. Just enjoy them as human beings. Just get to know them a little bit, hear their story, enjoy them, feed them good food or whatever the best food you can afford is, and just love them. People feel loved when they feel enjoyed. And then at the end of the evening, as they're, as they're leaving, just say, hey, man, we had a great time tonight. Um, 
you know, I just, I really want to be praying for you. Is there anything you need prayer for? And then just start praying for them right then and there, as they've told you. And after when they leave, continue praying for them and follow up with them. Follow up and, and see how the Lord opens doors for heart-to-heart conversations when somebody feels truly loved and enjoyed and then feels cared for. And see what happens as you start to just present the truths of who Jesus is. Now, maybe you're, you're here and you're like, man, Austin, this world is so polarized. All the people I know that are non-Christians, I agree with nothing they say. What do I do then? Like, how do I enjoy that person? Like, how do, I, how do I have them over and enjoy them when everything they say makes me think they're a complete and total dummy? Like, what do I do with that? But here's what I would encourage you towards. Shift the conversation. Ask questions like, what do you love? What are your hobbies? What do you enjoy doing? What do people say you're good at? Like, steer the conversation away from polarizing topics, from charged environments, and towards the heart of the person. This is how people feel seen when they start to be asked about who they really are behind the facade that they're putting out there. Another thing I want to just encourage you towards is to follow the lead of Robert Dominguez. Um... Robert has this ridiculous gift of just being a, like, he just talks to everybody. Now, so part of this is just supreme gifting from the Lord, but part of it is he's just open. <laughs> like people, so, oh man, there's a story. This is good. He and I went to lunch a couple weeks ago. We, we were having a meeting, so we went and had it over lunch, and um, I just walk into the restaurant, walk right up to the cash register, and like Robert walks in, and somebody catches him at the door, and then for like 15 minutes, Robert's having a conversation with this guy about the Lord and about how good God is. And we find out that this guy's just a, a pastor in Mexico. Like, that happens because Robert just has this ability to be open with people and to have the conversation. Like, I've heard the countless stories of, well, Robert was at dinner last night and the waiter or the waitress just kept talking to him and now they're coming to church this Sunday. Or, you know, Robert was at dinner last night and, you know, then he found out that this person was a Christian they left the faith. Or Robert was down in Mexico and he was part of a wedding and he, you know, heard about some people's church hurt and he just started to minister to, like, Robert's openness and willingness and ability to say, let me just Let's have the gospel conversation. All it is, is being open. <laughs> it's also ridiculous gifting, so pray that the Lord gifts you in that way. Like, opening yourself to not be in such a hurry that you would actually be present with people. This is a struggle that I have. Like, I, I am so readily moving to the next thing in my schedule that I will not actually sit with people who might be open to a conversation. I'm willing to bet that most of you are in that same place. Because there's a list that needs to be done and we've got to tick it off. And man, let me just encourage you. The list can wait. People cannot. And that's an encouragement to myself as well. Another way I want to encourage you towards this is um, 
In, throughout the book of Acts, we see uh, many times where Christians are in prison and they're just living as Christians. And we see people get saved from that. And so this is my, my observation and encouragement to you today. Who are you chained to? Meaning, who's at home with you? Who's at work with you? Who is around you and sees that the way that you live? That's a gospel opportunity. Like the way you live is a gospel opportunity. The way, you, the way you work, the way you are with people. There's a reason why Paul encourages the Thessalonian church to not be idle, to live peaceful and quiet lives loving the people in front of them. Because that's a missional strategy. Who are you chained to? At work or at school or in your home life? Like that is, a, that is an opportunity for the gospel. That Lord, the Lord has intentionally placed that person in your life and you in their lives. That's not an accident. That's why I preach the gospel to our staff every week. Staff, I'm just kidding, no. Um, so don't underestimate as well how you live your life as a discipleship strategy or as a, as a missional strategy. Like, there's a reason mission flows from community because we believe that the more beautiful the community is, the more attractive it will be to others. And I don't mean that in the sense of we're just trying to look good. Like the more we actually look like sustainable long-term community, the, the more that the other communities of this world are going to start to, you know, fade and we're going to start to show up. Like we as a church, like don't underestimate the 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 gospel strategy that a healthy family and a healthy church is. Don't underestimate how much you investing in your marriage or you investing in your kids or you investing in your siblings is, is really important or you just investing in your friendships. That is a super important missional strategy when people can see that we love and care for one another. Don't underestimate the value of investing in a church in a way that helps it to be healthier. Like, that is a way that we can see the gospel go forward when people actually come into these doors and they don't feel beaten down, but they actually feel cared for and loved and pointed towards the gospel, pointed towards their need for the gospel, but in such a way that is compelling and not repelling. <laughs> like the gospel is offensive enough as it is. We don't need to make it more offensive by being jerks. I'm going to close with two brief stories. These will be quick. They're from Scripture, but they're important for us. And there's a reason why Jesus comes first in this list. Acts chapter 3 and 4, we see that the church is starting to grow, and immediately right after there's persecution, Peter and John are imprisoned. And while they are imprisoned, they are threatened to stop preaching the gospel. They say, you keep preaching the gospel just so you know, this is what's coming for you, exactly what your Savior got. And, and Peter and John respond in a way that is so profound. They say this, they say, we cannot help but speak about the things that we have seen and heard. This is why you need to know Jesus, because otherwise, you're going to run the fuel of your own approval out 
and eventually the conversation is going to become too uncomfortable or too awkward and you won't want to continue talking about Jesus. But if you know who Jesus is, you have seen him and you have heard him, then you won't be able to stop talking about how awesome he is. The next story uh, I, I want to share is from John 4. John chapter 4 is one of my most favorite chapters in the Bible. There is a Samaritan woman at the well who Jesus goes out of his way to go see. And he begins to have this gospel conversation with her. He begins to talk about her story. Now, this woman is at the well in the middle of the day, which in the Middle East is really hot. It's a really hot time to go to the well. It's not the normal time to go to the well, and she's alone at the well. So she's not going at the time when all of the other women of the city are going. And what we find out pretty soon on in the story is that this woman does not have one husband. She has five, and the one she's with now is no longer your husband, is the words that Jesus, is Jesus uses. So we find out right then and there why she's at the well in the middle of the day because her story is pretty shameful. Her story is not one that you'd want intermingling with everybody else as they're also getting water from the well. And so Jesus, he, he points to that story and then continues to love her and to care, her, care for her and combat her misconceived ideas about who the Messiah would be. And then this amazing thing happens. She goes into the city and she, she begins this beautiful testimony. Come see the man who told me all I ever did. Those are the words that come out of her mouth. Which she, like that's the reason she's avoiding the city because of all she's done. And she's saying, come see him. Come see the one who told me all I ever did. Encountering Jesus made her story, her testimony, your, my encouragement for you is to see Jesus so that you cannot stop but speak about what you have seen and heard and then to walk out sharing about the man who has told me all that you ever did. The Lord is perfectly capable of redeeming your story and using that to bring people into his kingdom. Do not underestimate his ability to shape what has caused you a lot of shame into a story that brings him a lot of glory. The last encouragement that I will give you, if you feel like, man, I cannot share the gospel with somebody, keep looking at Jesus, but also just invite people to church. I'm preaching about who Jesus is every week. And I, I'm happy to preach for you. If you feel like you can, you just get him in the door and we'll preach the gospel. Get them in a gospel community. They'll hear the gospel. Let's pray. God, we just thank you that you sought out brokenhearted failures who collapsed into the arms of Christ and then you just ridiculously redeemed our stories. We thank you for your blood shed on the cross, for the good news of Jesus, who sacrificially walked out in giving for us. Lord, you, man, you left the comfort of heaven and came down. 
our suffering servant king who, who suffered on our behalf and served for us so that we could be brought in to the kingdom. Help us, Lord. Help us to continue walking out in that same missional engagement with others, knowing that we hold the words of eternal life. Help us to point people to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.